I don't know how many of you got a chance to look at the, uh, or to follow the last Summer Olympics. But uh, in those Summer Olympics, we sent an athlete from the United States um, to compete in the skeet shooting competition by the name of Kim Rohde. Now, Kim Rohde won gold in that event. It's pretty amazing. Not too many people can say that they've won gold in an Olympic Games. Uh, there's just not very many people out there. But not only did she win gold in the Olympic Games, she shot 99 out of 100 targets on that skeet sh- uh, shooting course, setting an Olympic record. So not only did she win gold and set the Olympic record, that was her fifth straight consecutive Olympics that she competed in. And not only was that her fifth straight consecutive Olympics that she competed in, she won medals in each of those five consecutive times. No other American has ever done that. Now, she was interviewed, and she was asked the question, how do I set, or how do you set yourself apart from all the others? And it's her answer that intrigues me. Her answer was pretty simple. She said, well, I just shoot 500 to 1,000 rounds every day. If you think about that for a minute, 500 to 1,000 rounds every day? That's crazy. I love to shoot trap. I love to shoot clay pigeons. When I was back in California, the vet clinic I worked at, uh, the doctors, we had a team. We shot trap every week. We shot twice a week. We shot one day for practice. We shot one day for competition. But week in and week out, you know what? It starts to get old. It starts to get tiring. She shoots every single day, 500 to 1,000 rounds. You do the math on that. Over 20 years for those five consecutive Olympics, she would have shot somewhere between three and a half and seven million rounds. That's crazy. That takes a tremendous amount of discipline and a tremendous amount of dedication. I'd love to have that type of discipline in my life. I'd like to have that type of dedication with my walk with the Lord. So thinking of that, how can I have that discipline and that dedication? A topic I want to look at tonight is uh, that kept coming back over and over again. As I prayed and looked through the Word God kept bringing this back to me. It's something that's been on my heart and my mind for a long time. And uh, it's something that God's been convicting me on. And as Jackie would say, it's something that God's been busting my chops over. So because my chops are getting busted, that's what you guys are going to hear tonight. So what I want you to know is that this applies to me. If it applies to you, that's good, but it applies to me. So if it feels like I'm pointing a finger at anybody, there's actually three pointing back at me. So there's two main questions I want to look at tonight. The first one is, why does our passion for the Lord burn out? So why does our passion for the Lord burn out? Can I say, can I look back and honestly say, a year ago, am I progressing from where I was at a year ago? Or am I just sitting stagnant? Am I growing? Or am I actually going backwards? Only we can answer that. Second question, why don't we take the time to diligently pursue God and His Word? So why does our passion for the Lord burn out, and why don't we take the time to diligently pursue God in His Word? Now, you know, this question, these questions have been on my mind for a while. I've talked with a couple guys in the church, neither one of them are here tonight, quite extensively about it, one of them very extensively. We've talked for quite a while about this, and we would search, and we hadn't come up with anything. But you know what? It says in James 4.8, it says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And it says in Proverbs 8.17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. 
In Hebrews 11.6 it says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He does. He rewards us. If we seek Him, He's going to reward us. And the reward is finding Him. We will find Him if we seek Him. And you know what? Uh, as I was preparing for Sunday school a couple weeks ago, we went through with the kids. We've gone through the book of Genesis, and now we're in Exodus going through. And I was looking ahead for where we're going to be going with the kids, and it hit me. One of the couple of the passages that I looked at, God took me right to it. Why does our passion burn out for the Lord? How come? And how come? How? Why don't we spend the time that we need to seeking Him diligently in His Word? So what I'm going to start with is I want to take a look, quick look at the tabernacle. I want to go through the tabernacle real quick, and then we'll take a look at the items that are in there, and we'll see, we'll look at the passages that we have for tonight. We're going to be all over the place. I've probably got 20 different references, so we're going to be running all through the Bible. So, what is it? What is the tabernacle? Simply, the, it's a tent. It's a tent surrounded by a courtyard. That courtyard was 150 feet long by 75 feet wide. Uh, the fence around the courtyard had one door. That door was on the east side. To get in, you had to go through that one door, through the east side. What was it for? What was the tabernacle for? It was a place for the people to meet with the Lord. It was a place for them to come and worship. It was a place for them to come and sacrifice. It was a place where they could come and meet with the Lord. So what's in it? What is in the tabernacle? So if you come through that east door, the first thing you would come to in the courtyard is the burnt altar, the altar of burnt offering. This is where the sacrifices were made. This is where the blood was shed. This is where sin was dealt with. The next thing that you would come to would be the bronze laver heading west through the courtyard. This is a place where the priests would come and wash their hands. They would come and wash their hands and their feet there. They had to go there first before they could go to the burnt altar. They had to come and wash their hands before they could go to the tent of meeting. Keep heading west. You come to the tent. The tent was 45 feet long by 15 feet wide. The tent was divided into two rooms. There was the holy place and there was the holy of holies. The holy place was 30 feet by 15 feet. In, in the holy place, there were three, um, three articles in the holy place. There was the table of showbread, there was the golden lampstand or the menorah, and there was the altar of incense. The table of showbread would be, as you walked in through the door, it would be on your right or on the north-hand side. This was... Uh, the gold lampstand was on the left-hand side or on the south, and if you continued to head to the west, that's where the altar of incense was at. So the table of shorebread, this is where there were 12 loaves of bread that were placed on that table. They would sit there for a week. On the Sabbath, the priest would come in and eat all 12 loaves, and they had to be eaten in the holy place. It had to be eaten in the presence of the Lord. The golden lampstand, it was the only source of light in the holy place. Without it, the priest would be in the dark. And the altar of incense... This is where the incense was burned morning and evening. When the priest did the morning and evening sacrifices, they would come and tend the altar of incense. And it would be left burned continually throughout the day and night. As you continue to head west, you would go through the veil. You would come into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was 15 feet wide by 15 feet long by 15 feet high. It was a perfect cube. In the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. The high priest could only go in once a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, that's where God would meet and speak with the high priest about everything that God commanded the children of Israel. Inside the Ark were, ten, were the Ten Commandments, the golden pot of manna, and Aaron's staff that budded. So that's a quick look at what is in the tabernacle. Just a quick overview. If you were to look from above, if you had an aerial view and you could see all those implements, if you went from the burnt altar to the, uh, 
to the bronze laver, go in through it, through the door in the tent. You would come, and on the right-hand side, you had the table of showbread. On the left-hand side, you had the menorah or the lampstand. Straight ahead was the um, altar of incense, and through that, through the veil was the uh, Ark of the Covenant. It would make a perfect cross. I don't think it's by coincidence that it, was, that it was a cross. I think it's by design. So what does the tabernacle point to? Everything in the tabernacle points to Jesus. If you search it out and you search each thing in the tabernacle, it points directly to Jesus. If in John 1.14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And at the beginning of that, and the Word, that Word is Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt in the, in the Greek is tabernacle. It, the whole tabernacle points to Jesus. Jesus came and tabernacled with us, or he set up his tent with us. So the two specific things I want to look at to answer the questions, why does our passion burn out for the Lord, and why don't we spend time seeking God diligently in his word? I want to take a look at the altar burnt offering, and I want to take a look at the laver, the bronze laver or the basin. So the altar of burnt offering. This is where the sacrifices were made. This is where blood was shed. This is where sin was dealt with. Wood would be placed on top of the altar. The priest would place the wood on there. They'd place the sacrifice on top of that, and the fire would consume it. This is a picture of Calvary. It's a picture of Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the wood of the cross, taking our sin for us, taking the wrath of God, taking the wrath of the, the fire of the wrath of God for us. So, if you have your Bibles with me, I'd like you to open up to Leviticus Chapter 9. Leviticus is the third book of the Bible. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 23. This is where the people of uh, Israel are dedicating the temple to the Lord. This is where Moses and Aaron are dedicating the, uh, or not the temple, but the tabernacle. Verse 23, it says, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which had not which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all people, I must be glorified. And go, take, go back to the beginning of that and take a look at that. Don't you think it would be pretty incredible if the Lord showed up that way? Maybe pretty exciting. If he showed up, fire came out from him and consumed the sacrifice that was on the altar. You look at the people, they shouted. I mean, it would be exciting. They shouted and they fell on their face in awe. They were in worshiping the Lord. Now, it seems like Nadab and Abihu would have been excited too, right? I mean, they wanted to jump up there. They wanted to be a part of what was going on. This is an exciting deal. I want to be a part of this. I want to be, what's, I want to be with, the, with what's happening. So why? Why did they get fired? Why did they get burned up? Why did they get burnt out? I think we've got to take a look at another question first. What is profane fire? If you look in the King James, profane fire, it says strange fire. If you look in the NIV, it says unauthorized fire. So what is profane fire? What is strange fire? What is unauthorized fire? 
If we take a look at Exodus 30, verse 9. Exodus 30, verse 9 says, You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. If we go to Leviticus 16.12. Leviticus 16.12 says, Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. This is speaking of what Aaron needed to do. Where was that fire supposed to come from? It was supposed to come from the altar. So I think by looking at the context of chapter 10 in Leviticus, I think that uh, we can say that it appears that Nadab and Abihu did not take the fire from the burnt altar. I think they took fire from another place. So I've got three reasons why I think that Nadab and Abihu were fired or burnt out and why we can become burnt out as well. The first one is they were excited. They were excited to be a part of what was happening. It looked exciting. I think sometimes we do the same thing. We see an exciting thing going on in ministry and you go, I want to be a part of that. That's what I want to be and that's where I want to put my time. So, if Nadab and Abihu burned out, I think we can burn out too. So why? I think it's because it's strange fire. It's unauthorized fire. It's profane fire. Where's the fire supposed to come from? It's supposed to come from the altar. If our motivation is, I want to be there because it's exciting, what happens when it's not exciting anymore? Or better yet, what happens when persecution comes? I don't care if persecution comes. If it's exciting, it's not exciting anymore. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. So, what is no longer exciting, what is no longer exciting for a lot of us, we'll just say, man, I'm out of here. I'm burnt out. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Or other things will come in and uh, take our attention away. We'll be choked out by the things of this world. It's not exciting anymore. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 3. It says, Jesus giving the parable of the four soils. It says, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the, words is, where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground. When they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, so endure only for a time. 
Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground, those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So I want to take a look at two of those soils. The rocky soil. When persecution comes, you know what? I don't want to be in it anymore. I'm burned out. I'm going to leave. The other one, when weeds grow up around it and choke it out, things of this world come in. Other things appear exciting now. It's not so exciting to be involved in this ministry anymore. I want to go somewhere else. I want to do something else. We get burned out. That's the excuse we give. We get burned out and we move on. So the second, so the second thing, that the reason I think that we can become burned out or why Nadab and Abihu were burned out is that uh, they jumped in. They wanted to jump in real quick and help out. They, see, they saw a place where they needed to be and that's where they went. So they thought. I think if this is our motive, if our motive is because we just want to help out, we aren't going to last. We're going to burn out. Why? Because it's strange fire. The fire didn't come from the right place. We've got several ministries here that we can be involved in. We can do children's ministry. We can do the soup kitchen. We can do the worship team. We can do cleaning. All these. But you know what? It's week after week after week. When you've got to prepare week after week or be here week after week, eventually you get weary. When you get weary and you're doing it because you just want to, be a, uh, you just want to help out, eventually you start looking, you know what? Why isn't nobody thanking me? Why isn't nobody noticing what I'm doing? And all of a sudden you get burned out. You get frustrated. Somebody said something the wrong way to you. You get your feelings hurt. You know what? And you don't want to do it no more. Also, when you help out, things don't always work out right. And you get frustrated that way. You end up getting burnt out. Your feelings get hurt. The third thing that can burn us out if we take a look back in Leviticus 10, verse 2. It says, So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Where else have we seen fire coming out from the Lord and devouring people? Sodom and Gomorrah. That word fire is the same fire used there. What was Sodom and Gomorrah's sin? In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, it tells us, verse 48. As I live, says the Lord God, neither your sister Sodom nor her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. I think Nadab and Abihu were full of pride. I think they uh, were not up there to glorify the Lord. They were up there to promote themselves. I think sometimes if we're honest about it, we do the same thing. We want to be noticed. We want to be in the places where people notice us. We don't always want to be in the places where, behind the scenes where stuff gets done. And you know what? If that's your motivation, you're going to burn out. You're not going to last. So if being excited, wanting to be a part of what's happening, or jumping in to help others out, or promoting ourselves, if this is our motive, we're not going to last. Sooner or later, all of these reasons will burn us out. As time passes, you know, you start to notice people that at one time seemed to be on fire for the Lord. All of a sudden they disappear. Where'd they go? What happened to them? 
You know, I used to notice so-and-so over here, and now I don't see him anymore. They burnt out. Somebody hurt their feelings, or somebody didn't respond to them the way they wanted to be responded to. Somebody didn't thank them the way they wanted to be thanked. Something didn't work out. They just say, you know what, I've had it. I'm done. I'm gone. So these people, they all seem to be on fire at one time. But now they're burnt out. Why? I say it's because they, their fire was profane fire or strange fire or unauthorized fire from the get-go. Their fire came from the wrong place. Where is the fire supposed to come from? The fire was to come from one place only. It was supposed to come from the altar. The altar was where the sacrifice was consumed by fire from heaven. There is no alternative. What does the burnt altar speak of? The burnt altars, it's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus on the cross. It's a picture of Him taking the sacrifice for us, for our sins. He's taking God's wrath that should have been poured out on us. Jesus was crucified on the wood just like the sacrifice was laid on the wood. He absorbed the fire and paid the price for me. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking about uh, the hardships that he went through. And he tells us, what motivates him? Where our fire should come from? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus. So what compels him? It's the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ that compels me. It's the love of Christ that motivates me, or it's the love of Christ that pushes me. That's what it needs to be. That's what Paul's saying. It doesn't matter if I want to help people or if I just want to be a part of what's going on, it's not going to last. It's got to be because of what the Lord has done for me. It's about the Lord and what He's done for me. He paid the price. My sins are forgiven. I can't help but serve Him. That's where my fire needs to come from. Our motivation needs to be based on what Jesus has done for us. That's the fire that will never burn out. The motivation is not wanting to be a part of what's happening or promoting myself or wanting to serve others. The motivation is that Jesus has done so much for me, I will serve Him till I die here on earth and then I'll serve Him in heaven. If we don't want to serve Him here, then what are we thinking? We're going to do it when we get to heaven too. That's what eternity is about. We're going to here to serve Him. All this other stuff will come as we serve Him. If we put Him first, if that's our motivation, all the other stuff's going to come. The fire from off the altar will cause us to keep burning. All other fire will burn us out. So if what we're doing is because you are blown away by what Jesus has done for you, it doesn't matter about any of this stuff. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how people respond to us. It's all irrelevant because it is what the Lord has done for us and who the Lord is. How much has, does Christ love us? It's, he took our sins upon the cross. He took on Himself. Psalms 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. That alone should be enough to motivate me to love Him. Psalm 150 talks about how we should uh, seek God and praise God for who He is. I'm going to read it to you. Psalm 150. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with the clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's all that's on the psalmist's mind. 
He just wants to praise the Lord for who he is. So how do I stay focused on this? How do I stay, fo- how do I stay focused on what the Lord has done for me? We're going to move next through the courtyard to the laver. Let's take a look at the bronze laver. Exodus chapter 30, verse 17. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a laver of bronze, with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in water from it. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn, an offer, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. So what's the labor for? It's the place where the priest would come to wash. Now First Peter 2 Verses 4 and 5. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. We're, we're to be priests. We are in the priesthood. We're to be priests. What is a priest to do? A priest is supposed to represent God to the people. We're supposed to tell the people around us about God. We're supposed to represent God to them. But we're also supposed to represent the people to God. We're supposed to be praying for the people around us. That's what a priest is to do. That's our calling. So, how do I wash? That's what the labor is for. It's for the priest to come wash. So how do I wash? John 15.3 says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. John 17.17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians 5.25-26 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So washing with water, when the, word, when the scripture uses the washing of water, it's a similar a picture of the word of God. So every time we see that in the word, when we're washing with water, it's a symbol of the word. So it is through the word of God that we are cleansed. Now as we look at the uh, articles in the tabernacle, if you were to set up a chart, and down the, bo- down the side of that chart you had each article listed, Across the top, you had things about each article. If you were to come to the laver, there's a couple things that are missing, that seem to be missing in the text. One of them is, all the other articles have a dimension or a weight given to it. The laver is the only one that does not. Why? Why why would that be left out? I mean, is it a mistake? I don't think so. I think it's full of water. It's a picture of God's Word. It's where they come and wash God's word is limitless. It's never exhausted. There's always more. Every time I study this, every time I study a chapter, I find something I didn't see before. You know, I've said this before, and I know in Sunday school I hear it quite a bit. They always ask, what are we going to talk about today? I'll tell them. And they say, oh, I already know that story. And I say, oh, don't ever do that. 
Don't ever say that you know the story because there's always more. Always come with an open heart, being ready to learn what God has for us today. You know, I'm, I'm in Exodus 5 right now with the kids. I've been on Exodus 5 for the, this will be the fourth week coming up. Because they always ask questions. I'm never going to stop their questions. But you know what? Each week I review it and I start over and I start studying again. Each week I find something new in there. The other thing that's missing, it seems to be missing in the text, is uh, there's no cover for it. When the Israelites would move camp from one place to the other, all the articles of the tabernacle were covered. This one does not. Ask why again. I think it's because it's the Word of God. The Word of God is always open to us. We always have access to His Word. It's never closed. 24 hours a day, it's open to us. Now I want to go through Psalm 119, which is talking about the benefits and the blessings that we get from being in God's Word. I'm not going to do all the verses. It's the longest book in the Bible. But I'm going to touch on a few of them. Verse 2, it says, Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with the whole heart. Blessed is another word for happy. So happy is the person that's in in the Word. We're happy if we're in His Word. Verse 11, or verse 9, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking, by taking heed according to your word. Verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So how do, how do you get clean? We get clean by being in the word. That's how we stay clean. That's how we get clean. Verse 24, your testimonies also are my delight in my counselors. So as we're going through the word, we have the best counselor that we could ever have in the Lord. He will direct us through his scriptures. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts or instructions, so shall I meditate on your wonderful works. So people that are in the Word are more likely to be talking about His wondrous works. Verse 42, so shall I have an answer for him who reproaches or taunts me, for I trust in your Word. So I will, it means I will have an answer for the people that come down on me because of your Word. It gives me the answers that I need when I need them. Verse 45, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. means I'm free. It sets me free. I will be free because I know your word. Verse 48, the hands also, my hands also, I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. So my hands go up because I love his word. Verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. So going through hard stuff isn't always a bad thing. It gets me back in the Word. When things are going well, I tend not to be in the Word so much. It's the hard times what brings me back. So I think this is something that the Lord uses or allows us to go through to bring us back into His Word. Verse 104, Through your precepts I get my understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. This means I won't be pulled in or fooled by false doctrines because I can spot the counterfeit because I know what is real. Why? Because of verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Now, I know, I think it's Jackie that's used the illustration before with how, do peop- how does the government train counterfeiters? I think it's Jackie. How, what do they do? They show them the real deal day after day after day, month after month, year after year. They show them the real deal. Why? Because they know what the real thing looks like. So as soon as they see that counterfeit bill, 
They hey, something's wrong. It's not right. Same way with us. We need to be in the truth of the word. We don't need to be studying all the other religions of the world to figure out how they're wrong. If we're in the truth of the word, we're going to spot it right away. We're going to know. This came up the last two weeks in Sunday school as well. We were talking about stuff in there, and one of the kids said, well, how can that be true? If Zeus is the god of lightning, how can God be in charge of that? They didn't know what the real deal is. It's so important to hammer this into them at such a young age. I spent the rest of that time, an hour and 45 minutes after Sunday school, that kid stayed and we talked. And we spent the whole last Sunday talking about it during Sunday school to say, is this true or is your Greek mythology true? One of them's true. One of them's right. One of them's not. I think it's so important to teach these kids right now. They're so susceptible. They get that from school. That's what they're being taught in school and they think it's a real thing. They don't understand all the time. They think this is what's taught. This is what the teacher is teaching me. So I'm just taking it to face value. But she was able to catch on and say, well, how can this be true if Zeus is God. So I think we need to be in here. We need to know what this says. We need to be teaching it to Him. We need to teach it to ourselves. Verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. I'm shielded because of the word of God. The shield of faith is linked to understanding the word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Verse 136. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. So when I'm in the Word, I weep for those that don't know. Compassion comes from being in the Word. Great, verse 165, Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. So we started out in 119. Happy or blessed is those that are in your law. We end up with great peace. Have those who love your law. So we'll be happy. We will have peace. That all comes from being in the Word. So, how do we stay focused? How do we stay focused on what the Lord has done for us? Our passion, our motivation needs to be on what He's done for us. How do we stay focused on that? We stay focused on it by being in the Word. So, if we know that all these benefits and all these blessings that come from being in Psalm 119 to be true, if we know that they are true, then why aren't we in the Word more? Why don't we study the Word if it brings all these benefits, then what's the deal? Why don't we do it? You know, I was researching on the internet what's the most common reason that people give on surveys for not spending time in the Word. The answer that came up over and over again is my same answer. I don't have enough time. That's the excuse that I gave. It's really not a reason. It's an excuse. I don't have enough time. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. 
So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now, Daniel... He's one of the three governors of the land. He's, a, he's like a prime minister. I would be willing to bet that he's pretty busy. He's a busy guy. But it says, that was, was, as was his custom since early days, he found time three times a day to go to his room and pray to God. I'm not as busy as he was. I guarantee it. Even though I think my life is busy. Let's go to Mark chapter 1. Verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. That whole day before, he spent a whole day in ministry. He didn't have a break that whole day. He had every right, every excuse to say, you know what, I can sleep in this following day. I'm tired. I'm tired from being out and working all day. But he didn't. It says, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And, and there he prayed. I guarantee you he was more busy than I was. Or than I am. So, if we're too busy to read the Word, then we're just flat out too busy. I know I am. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. It says, Seek him early in the morning. Job chapter 1, verse 5. 
It says, So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Job got up early in the mornings to offer sacrifices or pray for his kids. He would get up early in the morning. Mark 16.2 It says, Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They got up early to go see the Lord at the tomb. Psalms 5, Psalms chapter 5, verse 3 says, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. Seek him early in the morning. Over and over it says, Seek him early in the morning. Psalm 63 says, O oh God, you are a God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Seek him early in the morning. Seek him in the morning. That's what we should do. Because what happens if we don't seek him in the morning? We get busy with our day. Stuff happens. My phone starts ringing. That's just the way it is. Life happens. Kids start yelling, whatever. Stuff happens. I guarantee you, if you get in the Word and you start seeking him, attacks are going to come. The devil does not want you in there. Many times I will sit down after working. I will get done early in a day. I'll come in and I'll try to read and study. Inevitably, my phone rings. I got a calving to go do. Happened last night. I sat down to finish up preparing for this. Sat down. I wasn't sitting down for more than 30 seconds. Got a calving to go do. I need to go pull a calf. The devil does not want us in this. So, what is our motivation? Is our motivation because uh, I want to be a part of what's happening? Or is it that I just want to help out? Is it that I want to see myself promoted? Or is it because I am so blown away by what Jesus has done for me, I have to serve Him? Only we can answer that. Nobody can answer it but ourselves. And some of that stuff is hard to look at. But... Just ask us to... Seek Him. Seek Him. Seek Him early in the morning. That's what I need to do myself.